HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is supported by Samuel Adams, Brewing the American Dream. Since 2008, the program has provided business coaching, advising, and loans to thousands of entrepreneurs. Hello to everyone. I'm Louisa Kasdan, your host for Let's Talk About Food, a podcast devoted to first-person storytelling where food plays a pivotal, if not a starring role. Everyone has a food story. Food is at the heart of human connection, at the center of love, of ritual, of need and want, and most of all, food creates community. And community is what we crave. Welcome to our special edition of Let's Talk About Food. We recorded five wonderful female food and beverage entrepreneurs at a live event at the Sam Adams Brewery in Boston in late May. Each of these entrepreneurs has been part of a very special mentorship program funded by Boston Beer Company. It's called Brewing the American Dream. They share deeply personal stories of grit and focus and how belief in yourself and your product, against all odds, is the secret sauce of a successful entrepreneur. Let's get started. Let's welcome to the stage Carlene Ogaro of Delectable Desires Pastries. So, Carlene, not to put you on the spot, but totally to put you on the spot. Uh, I, <laughs> I want to know, what gave you this crazy idea that you could start your business making these gorgeous cakes? I read in your bio that you got the idea back when you were four years old or five years old or seven years old. So tell us your story. Definitely. Well, I started baking at four with my mom, and it was such a special time. It was relaxing. It was normal. It was easy. And, you know, I grew up with West Indian parents, so it was go to school, go to college, get an education, get a career, and then have fun after. And when I was applying to law school and I got in, I said, you know what, I'm still young, let me pivot and go into the food industry and really follow my passion and really kind of connect to that four-year-old Carlene and say, hey, you know, you had a lot of fun then, you had a great time, food was great. 
baking was fun. And that's what made me kind of do the switch. And I've been there ever since. And it's something that it brings me joy to see the joy in other people's faces. So with a lot of my cakes, birthday cakes, wedding cakes, christening cakes, I got to be part of a lot of precious moments with people. And it's really something. And it just makes me feel accomplished more than if I was a lawyer. Like financially, I would have been struggling or wealthy, or but I would have been unhappy. This, I have the financial security and I am happy. So it ties in all together and it just makes me feel that I am living like the American dream of just being happy, creating something, creating food, creating edible art, and being part of so many wonderful moments. What was it like for you to begin? It was hard. When I first started, it was, okay, I'm just going to bake and everyone's going to like it. I'm going to have my prices together. But it wasn't like that. It was the first part of starting my business, it was a lot of learning, and I'm still learning to this day, learning what people like, what they don't like, learning my customers, and trying to get the financial side together, you know, trying to find the right customers, trying to find what actually works for me and what makes me happy and what's going to keep me in my business. That was the hardest part for me, but as I grew with the business, I began to know my worth know my worth of what I'm making, know my customers. And that's where I am today. Well, that's kind of amazing. Can you paint the picture for me of your first six months or so in business, where you were, what you did, how it got launched? And also, what did your family say? (laughs) So the first six months, I was actually across the yard, right, from Sam Adams. I was in there and I was Started my business off doing like door-to-door selling to different bakeries and cafes throughout Boston. And I wasn't getting paid on time. I didn't know about terms. I didn't know about anything. I just thought, okay, eventually they'll pay me. Didn't know about invoices. And I ended up doing an event for Sam Adams and they started saying, oh, they're going to start a company. Well, not a company, but um, Brewing the American Dream. It's to help, you know, entrepreneurs in the beginning stages and here you go. Would you like to be part of that? And I said, of course. What is it? And then they gave me a check and I was excited. I was able to, <laughs> I was able to pay my vendors. Like it really got me out of that situation. Um, and then it got me to start the learning part of actually having a business, not saying, oh, you have a business, but understanding what it is to have a business, the financial side, the advertising side, getting paid on time, terms, delivery, contracts, that all came with that learning experience like six months in, up to like last week. (laughs) And how did you know your product could make it? I just believed in myself, honestly. Like, I did not have a plan B. I didn't want a plan B. It was, this was it. Like, we're going to make it work. We're going to ride it till the wheels fall off. It was going to happen regardless, regardless. So because of that, and because I did not have a plan B, that just made me work harder and made me find a way to continuously make it work. Through every down that I had, I said, you know what, there's no plan B, you're gonna have to figure it out, figured it out, got back on track, did it again. So your plan A was to succeed. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) Did you actually have a business plan? I did, I did have a business plan, but, so I took a course and I think I wrote the business plan 
to make it sound good, but I don't think the business plan was what I wanted to do, if that made sense. Like, I, I knew I had to write one. I knew, like, if you wanted to go to the bank, you needed one. But I don't think I wrote the business plan with Carlene in mind. I wrote it to make it sound good. So along the way, I've definitely have rewritten a business plan and made it more tailored, made for me and what I wanted to get out of it. I understand. You were writing the business plan to be read by other people. Yes. Aha. It was not the expression of your personal passion. Exactly. So tell us about the cakes. <laughs> so in the beginning, when I first started, taking it back, what, 14 years ago, I wanted to just do wholesale because I wasn't confident enough in my own abilities. As time went on, I began to put my cakes in the forefront and kind of pull back a little bit on wholesale. The cakes are basically, if you've seen my website or gone to my Instagram, Delectable Desires Pastries, all one word. Basically, it's edible art, and I want the cakes to look good, taste good, fresh, but I also want them to almost look so fake, like they don't look like real cakes. They're so beautiful, you don't want to cut them, but then when you do cut them, you don't want to share them. Like, I just wanted it to be almost edible art, and that was my goal with my cakes. Like, I try to take what people have in their minds and try to put it on paper so they can visually see it, tweak it, add my own thing, and then bring it to life. So the designs come from you or they come from your clients? Or? A little, it's a mix. So, you know, everyone knows about Pinterest. So people will send Pinterest images. And then I'll talk them through and say, hey, what is it that you really want? What do you want to capture with this cake? And then by the time we tweak it, it's almost like a mutual thing. Sometimes it's my own style. Sometimes it's strictly the client's. But I always say I have to put a little bit of something to make it more me. And then that's the end result. Wow. And I know you have a busy business because I looked on your website and it said you really have to order for a special occasion like yes. a month in advance. Mm -hmm. So tell us about the size and scope of your business now. So right now we are doing great. Um, I'm, like I said, going more into the cakes, the wedding cakes, the birthday cakes, special occasion cakes, pulling away from wholesale. So right now we are basically booked until the third week of June and we have dates all the way out into December. We actually have booked for 2023 already. People are coming to us more for the quality, more for the, the style, more for the look. Um, a lot of it has been word of mouth. Instagram, referrals, it's, it's great. So we are really busy and now as I move further into my business, I'm actually doing more of what I want to do, which is design cakes all day. And I think I said that years ago when I first got my first installment from Brewing the American Dreams, I just want to make cakes all day and I'm actually doing that and I'm actually having fun with it. I think that that's a, a challenge for entrepreneurs. There's a part of the business that they love that gets them into the business. And then in order to succeed, they have to learn all sorts of skills that are really brand new for mm -hmm. them. How long did it take you to feel like you were a businesswoman? Um, yesterday? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, I would say it, it took, I want to say, maybe the first three, four years, I feel like once I started, once I got my own location, my first location, 
and I started really making decisions. Everything fell on me, the rent, the overhead, employees, managing. I feel that's when I really started feeling like I had a business, like I, I'm making it, I'm doing something real. I would say at that point, and that would be about seven years ago. And you've been Eight. in business for how long now? So I started in 2008, 2009, and I got my store in 2014. So I've been doing this for half my life. So let me just ask you quickly, as a follow-up question, out of the blue, did you ever have a cake that really went just wrong? And what do you do about it? <laughs> um, so I, in the beginning, I did. So in my early, earlier stages, like I wanted everything so fresh. So literally, I had baked this woman's wedding cake day of, and it was in the middle of June, and it was only buttercream. And I was like, oh my god, it's not working out. So I tried to cover it with flowers and overdress it. And of course, it's not the design we discuss. Um, so I would say that um, my own wedding cake I did. And um, out of all the cakes, other than my first, first real wedding cake, my own wedding cake was actually, I did it. I did a whole different style. And I went to deliver my own cake, and it slid. And I'm like, I, out of all the years I've ever made a wedding cake, no cake has ever slid. So I'm like, okay, you mean this slid is the, like off the plate slid. It's or? Like it was a four tier cake, and the top two slid. And I'm just like, of all cakes, why my cake? Like, <laughs> why my cake? But um, I doctored it up and fixed it, so you, you couldn't even tell. <laughs> was I mad? Yes, yeah. but. <laughs> Thank you so much. We'll bring you back at the end, but thank you for yeah. sharing your story with You're us. Welcome. Thank, thank you. you. Let's welcome Alicia Haddad from Alicia Spice Co. <laughs> so, tell us how you began this. I know that you have recently been a winner in the yes. Brewing the American Dream. So just tell us how you began. Well, my company is Alicia Spice Co. And I founded my business in 2015. I have been cooking, canning, and baking since I was old enough to stand on a stool and hold a spoon. It's something that my grandmother, Lita, and I did, and something my whole family is extremely passionate about. and. It's just, I started this company with the premise of having something that was allergen friendly, that was kosher, keto, vegan, certified, gluten free, something that was allergen friendly, didn't contain soy, dairy, or nuts, no artificial sweeteners, preservatives, anti-caking agents, something that was safe for all children and parents and adults, and I just, I'm living my dream every single day, and I'm grateful for that. And how did you get the idea that this was going to be the thing you were going to do with your life? Tell me a little bit about how you grew up and what, how you got from whoever you were into a, a world as a young female entrepreneur. I think it was being told no. I hated the word no, and I still do. It's my least favorite word. I think if you tell me no, it's something that drives me and makes me want to do something that much more. I was that child. I think that it comes from determination and... I was working in New York, and I was working as the director of safety for a roofing company, of all things, which I loved my job very much, but I wasn't fulfilled. I wasn't happy. Something was missing, and I love cooking. I love 
you know, making people smile through food is pretty much what we all do, isn't it? You know, all the entrepreneurs here, like, we started our businesses for a reason. And for me, it was to make people happy, to make people enjoy the same fun things that I did growing up. And so I think that it's extremely important to not take no for an answer and just go after what it is that you believe you're capable of. And on the days that you're tired or you feel defeated, just keep going. Because if you set out with a good, wholesome mission and you have a good value behind your brand and morals, then you're going to succeed. And 10 people might tell you no, but that doesn't mean that's your end result. You just have to keep going. Amazing. And you could have done other things. How did spices become the thing that you focused on? It actually started with sauces. Started with maple barbecue sauce, maple applesauce, and a honey maple jalapeno spread. And then I kind of branched out into rubs and seasoning blends and dips. And from there, I decided through the pandemic that the sauces wasn't something that I wanted to continue manufacturing. There's a lot of sauces on the market, not saying mine weren't the best, because they were. Um, <laughs> no, there's a lot of wonderful products on the market. Mine was a really good one. but. My passion is spices and blends and all sorts of seasonings. That's, that's where my heart really is. Because so, you can do so many things with them. You can take the seasoning blends and you can use them as rubs, marinades, dressings. You can put them in you know, casseroles or you could do it you know, if you're using an air fryer. They're just The possibilities are endless. Sauces, you're kind of limited. Well, and tell me about the process of coming up with the spice blends. Do you, you know, sort of stand there in your kitchen saying, oh, a little bit more cumin? Or I mean, how do you do this? I don't sleep. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think it's, I don't sleep. And I wake up in the middle of the night and I just have a notepad and I just scribble down recipes. And it's through trial and error and having people sample it and cook with it and tell me it's terrible because I never want everyone to just say it's great. I want everyone's raw, real, honest opinion because that's the only way you're going to get better is if people give you the truth. So I think that it comes from any time of the day, really. I could be in a grocery store and I'm like, how can I make this better? And it just kind of happens. Well, it doesn't just kind of happen. People have to put a lot of effort into things. I mean, I have, I have a lot of ideas in the middle of the night. Nobody wants to hear those. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so once... Once you began, did you just did you start little and in your own kitchen, or how did you how did you have the ambition and the vision to, to grow it into a real business? Well, that's a really good question. I think it started the sauces started actually with a maple farm in upstate New York, um, at my friend's maple farm, and Elk Creek Maple is the name of that farm, and so that's where the sauces originated. I was making them in their kitchen. And from there, the seasoning blends, I started in Worcester, Massachusetts, in my house. And from there, it just morphed into a year into the business. I realized, okay, I got something great. I need to find a place to manufacture. So I rented a space up the street. So in 2016, um, I occupied 12 Atchison Street ever since. And I built out my manufacturing facility there. And I make everything right there. Um, I'm always curious, I'd like to follow the money just a little bit, so that when you first started doing this, you had no money, you had no sales, you were just doing this on your own without a paycheck. Correct. How long did that process, how long was that phase? Until November of last year. 
I did not take a paycheck. So that first paycheck was like, okay, I, I'm really doing this. My life savings went into my business. My heart, I sold my house to fund the next phase of this business. I slept in my office for nine months. And that's something that publicly I've never said out loud till today. There's a few select people that know that, and I am proud to know that if I can make it through nine months of being in my office during the beginning of a pandemic, nonetheless, I will survive anything. And my business is everything. So if I didn't have my business, it's an extension of who I am. It's part of me. It's like my child. And I wouldn't have it any other way. I wouldn't do it any other way. Mm. So it probably meant a lot to you when brewing the American Dream. Was that your first outside money that you got in? Yes, that was the first, the first of many things that started happening. So but, tell us those things that started happening. Oh, well, so there's Brewing the American Dream, and I received a grant from the city of Worcester. And right now, I recently received the Empower Digital Grant from Mass Growth Capital Corporation for $5,000, and that went towards web design, um, photography, and those sort of digital things. And then, um, just like Miss Goody Crunch, I am launching my BizM grant this upcoming week. And by the way, you did a great job on that. I loved it. <laughs> Little fangirl over here. But um, I, I'm looking very much looking forward to that. And if I'm able to meet my $20,000 goal for machines, they will match the $20,000. So it'll be essentially $40,000 for machinery. And I'm also right now in the top three with Rockland Trust Bank and 25 News Boston for a $20,000 grant uh, to put towards the additional machinery that I need. So if it all comes together, then yes, it would be amazing. And where do you, where do you sell? Where do you, where can I buy? Only online or I can buy in stores or how do I find this? I am someone who cares about things that are gluten-free, too, so Good. I'm excited to buy them. Well, you can purchase my products online at alishaspicego.com. You can purchase them on Mabel. You can purchase them on Fair. Pretty soon, you'll be able to purchase them at Whole Foods Market. And I'm very excited about this. And yes, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can also purchase them at Maker to Main in Worcester, uh, Worcester Public Market, the Market Pantry, Julio's Liquors. Cape Cod Markets just picked up my line. Um, there's, there's a lot of awesome places. Can you tell me, just as a final question, about a moment where you said, this is just perfect. I've got it right. I think that I have a lot of those moments now. Tell me one. Well, this is one of them. Well, I, I couldn't think of a nicer place to end. <laughs> I'm just, I'm grateful. I mean, meeting everybody from Brewing the American Dream, they've welcomed me with open arms. And the Center for Women in Enterprise, I received the Andrea C. Silbert Rising Star Award this year for, um, which is a huge recognition. And I just, if I didn't have all these wonderful people supporting me, my business, my journey, my mission, I'd I don't know what I'd be doing, but 
I mean, I'm just grateful for every single wonderful thing that's happening. So. Well, we're grateful for you and sharing your story. Thank you so much, Alicia. Thank, Thank you. you. That was just great. I'm a little choked up. <laughs> This episode is supported by Samuel Adams, Brewing the American Dream. They do amazing work providing business coaching, advising, and loans to thousands of entrepreneurs. Jennifer Glanville, the Director of Partnerships at Sam Adams, said it so well at the event. The best work I've ever done has been part of our Brewing the American Dream program. This program was started in 2008. Our founder and brewer, Jim Cook, when he started Samuel Adams almost 40 years ago, there were two things he needed access to to start his business, capital and nuts and bolts business advice. So we're in year 14. I'm really proud to say that we have loaned $79 million in the last 14 years, <laughs> along with our, our nonprofit lending partners. You know, what's amazing to me is the repayment rate for those loans are 98%, which is well above the national average. Um, we work very closely to make sure people are getting the right amount of money for the right projects, so they're getting the coaching and the capital together, which is incredibly helpful. Um, we have coached and mentored over 13,000 people in 14 years. We've also created or retained almost 10,000 jobs, and that number has actually stayed the same over the past two years with the pandemic. So we're also really proud of all these small businesses. The resiliency that they've shown over the last two years is incredible. HRN is home to transformative exchanges about food. We hope our diverse lineup of shows opens your eyes, educates, and empowers. Thanks to HRN, I ventured into the world of cooking with sumac, and I have not looked back since. I was listening to A Taste of the Past with my mom, and there was an episode about the history of American food. It inspired me to make it the subject of my final social studies project, and I ended up getting an A. Join us during our summer membership drive by donating and becoming a member. Members play an essential role in keeping nonprofit food radio on the air. Go to heritageradionetwork.org forward slash donate to become a member today. We thank you for your support. Now, back to our interviews with these inspiring entrepreneurs. Our next person is Hamdala Alona. Hamdala, please come up to our stage and tell us your story. Good evening, everyone. My name is Hamdala Mudukwe Olona. Hamdala means gratitude to God in Arabic. Mudukwe means the same in Yoruba my West African language, and my last name is Olona, which means carver, the one who carves the doors and the wood. <laughs> well, you make this wonderful thing called Goody Crunch. Tell us the story of Goody Crunch and what it is. I loved reading about your grandmother, so I want to hear about this, how you took this idea from your grandmother and decided, oh, this could be a business here in America. So actually, I didn't think that. So <laughs> I lost my job. I used to work at National Grid. I'm an accountant, and I used to be a lead financial analyst there. So I 
thought, okay, what can I do? And I used to make this my grandmother's recipe for friends and family. And then when I lost my job, my friends were like, I think you should share this with the world. Don't just keep it in your family or in your kitchen. So a friend of mine who had a farmer's market uh, called me and said, Hamdala, hey, why don't you come to our farmer's market You know, uh, this season and see how it will go? Off I went and first farmer's market sold out. Okay, second one sold out. I got put on the local newspaper in Haverhill. And then I'm like, okay, this seems to be uh, working. <laughs> and so um, the next season, I decided to, I only had the original flavor. And then the next season, we decided to do the uh, three other flavors, the peanut butter, the flaxseed, and the dark chocolate. And while I was at the farmer's market, I met my state rep for the city of Haverhill, Andy Vargas. And Andy said, hey, you know there is an equivalent of Shark Tank in Massachusetts, and it's called E for All. I'm like, I don't know what that means. I hardly watch Shark Tank either. So, <laughs> so he gave me the name of the director of uh, E for All, and I went there, I did the accelerator program, and that was when I started taking Goody Crunch seriously. And then you just kept going? And I kept going. <laughs> <laughs> At what point did you think, oh, this could be a real business. I could be president of this company, and the company could sell product and, and do all of this. It was actually at the farmer's market when I was sold out the first time, sold out the second time, and then they put me on the local newspaper. I'm like, well, what is going on here? You know, I was, uh, I was kind of scared. It was a new thing to me. It was like, hey, I don't want me in the newspaper. I'm, I just want to be in my room, in my house. <laughs> So that was when I'm like, okay, now that I'm in the local newspaper, I better not disappoint the people that, you know, that have this belief in me. So that was when I started, okay, you better be serious and, you know. And people say print is dead. Ha! <laughs> so, what did, so were you doing this in the kitchen at home? And yes. I was doing it in my kitchen in Haverhill. Luckily, the city of Haverhill approves um, a residential kitchen permits. So yes, I was doing it there. And then um, when, during, when I was in, at E4All, I got uh, to know one of the buyers at uh, Market Basket. And then I happened to be at an occasion with Art Demolas himself. So I just walked up to him and I said, hey, thank you. So I said, hey, I want you guys to carry Goody Crunch. And he, he's like, and then I gave him a sample and he's like, and then he called his um, assistant and said, hey, put this on my desk on Monday. And, you know, and that was so Eferol gave me that boost, the confidence to approach anybody. <laughs> so um, and then he talked to his buyer, he contacted me, 
However, I didn't proceed with Market Basket because uh, Goody Crunch is organic, it's vegan, it's naturally gluten-free. It's kind of like a high-end product. And I considered my cost of production and what Market Basket stands for. Market Basket is like your value for your dollar. And so I need to come up with a product that will fit into the business model. And that's why I didn't proceed with it. The same thing with Walmart. Walmart also wanted Goody Crunch, but two things with Walmart. The same issue with Market Basket and their volume. They have 4,800 stores. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I'm quite ready yet <laughs> for that. So um, now Stop and Shop has approached me and yes, we are moving forward with them. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. We've done all the, uh, we've put in um, all the Goody Crunch information into the system, the vendor system, and because we recently got um, USDA organic certified, we need to make a new package. So I'm sorry I brought you the old package this evening, <laughs> but the new package is on the way with the USDA logo on it. And uh, so that's what we're waiting for, uh, to proceed with uh, Stop and Shop. Amazing. I mean, there are different kinds of flavors of being an entrepreneur. Some of them are very structured. People have an idea. They think there's something in the market. They, they put together a very tight business plan. They do their market research. And others kind of, I don't know what the technical term for this, but I'm making up a technical term. And I'm going to call it sort of one foot in front of the other marketing. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's how to do it. And it seems to me that that's what you did. It came along, you took, you seized the moment, you seized the opportunities, you saw where it was going. What's your goal? Where, where, where would it feel like success at this point? So um, my goal is to get into the uh, chain grocery stores. And um, yes, I think I'm getting there now, I'm achieving it. And uh, thanks to Commonwealth Kitchen, uh, they uh, have decided to co-pack for me, and uh, so that will help facilitate uh, the process of expanding and growing. So um, I've done my uh, research on the production, the distribution, and all the logistics behind um, getting into the big grocery stores. So. Are you still hands-on making Goody Crunch? I have to be at the beginning, uh, especially when I'm just transitioning into a co-packer. Yes, I have to be there to make sure that the quality is the same. So yes, I will be supervising the people in Commonwealth Kitchen until I can let go. And also, uh, the USDA organic body wants me to be there for now. This is a great story. You. Can you give us a little bit of a description of your grandmother? Oh yeah, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so um, my, on my mother's side, my mother is from the Alafin of your royal family. 
the Alafin just passed away, the, the current one passed away like about a month ago. And so now they, there's a, a tug of war between, okay, whose, whose household will be next? So my mom's family is also one of the 11 sons of Atiba. One of the, my mom is the daughter of one of the 11 sons. So that's my mom's side. And so her mother, my grandmother, who did Goody Crunch, we didn't call it Goody Crunch then, we just called it Coconut Snack. She just did it in the village for the children. She didn't know what gluten-free was. She didn't know what vegan, what organic was. She just did her own thing. And I happened to be so lucky that when I presented Goody Crunch to people, it meets the gluten-free, naturally <laughs> gluten-free thing. It meets the vegan one. And now I'm certified organic. So I just uh, got lucky. So yeah, she taught my mom. And then my mom taught me. And she lived to be 101 years old. My mom is 92 now, and I'm her youngest and the only daughter. She, I have four brothers. Amazing, amazing story. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks so much to Carlene Ogaro from Delectable Desires, Alicia Haddad from Alicia's Spice Co., Hamdala Olana Madube from Goody Crunch, Emily Melgard from Fieldstone Kombucha, and Heather Younger from Top Shell Cookies. And special gratitude to Boston Beer, Brewing the American Dream, and Sam Adams Brewery. Thanks for listening. Let's Talk About Food is produced by The Food Voice. I'm producing, along with audio director and composer Mike Moss of Soundscape Boston. You can find more of our stories at our website, letstalkaboutfood.com, and on Heritage Radio or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's Talk About Food is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe. <laughs>